Hey, dads. You know, it's really good to see you. I know you may not hear this a lot, but uh, we love you. And we hope you understand how important and how special it is that you're here. You know, there's probably a hundred things you could be doing today, but you're here with us. And it means a lot. You don't have an easy job. Parenting comes with incredible challenges. And sometimes it's hard to know if you're doing it right. But you should know that being here right now, it's an important part. In the Old Testament, God gave this command. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. These words that I command you today should be on your heart. You should teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them when you sit in your house or when you're walking down the street. Talk of them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall asleep at night. So what does it mean to be a good father? It means loving God with all of your heart, soul, and might, and teaching your kids to do the same. And what an amazing example it is that you're here in the house of God, in the presence of other believers, seeking more of Jesus and worshiping unashamed. The young men and women here see you. The kids are watching, and as they grow, they'll remember and do the same. So thank you, dads. Thank you for your presence and example. We pray that God will bless you today, renew your spirit, and draw you closer to Him so you can continue to be a shining influence to all those around you. Happy Father's Day. And we'd like to welcome all of our fathers this morning and say Happy Father's Day. On the way out the door today, our children's ministry is going to provide every dad here with some candy. So the kids and the leaders will be at the doors on the way out today, just our way of saying Happy Father's Day. We do what each Mother's Day and Father's Day, we rec uh, recognize some uh, fathers. So we're going to do that again this morning, and Jared's going to help me. So today, we're first of all, we're going to uh, recognize the dad who is here with the newest child. So um, the newest child. So the newest baby. That's right. There, she's crying. So we're going to see. Maybe that's the newest. A year old. Any dads here? Okay. Less than four months. Anybody beat less than four months? Okay. We have, and we have, we have an extra card. Go ahead and give it one to the crying baby, too. So, okay. Yeah. So if you cry, you'll get our attention, okay? Hey, we want to recognize the oldest dad with children and grandchildren present today. So the oldest dad with uh, children and grandchildren here today. So we have any dads that are over 80 with children and grandchildren? Brother Beach, right down here. So you got your family here today. This is exciting, Brother Beach. Yeah. Good to see all the Beach family here today. Now, this is a funny one, but I want every dad who has golfed this year to stand up. If you've golfed already this year, stand up. Okay? If you've already golfed this year. So we got four, right? Four golfers. And I don't think there's more. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't have enough gift cards for this, so we're going to have to narrow this down. No, oh, we're going to narrow it down here. We're going to narrow it down. So... First, we want to find out what dad had the lowest score. So that's the best, because in golf, that's the best. Okay, the lowest. So anybody shoot below an 80? If you're shot below an 80, stay standing. For 18. Okay, is it, you're the only one, Denny? Oh, okay. Well, stand back 90. Anybody shoot below a 90? Hey, and Dave, what was your score, Dave? Well, I wasn't score. <laughs> what was your score? Uh, 84. 84. What did you say? 84. 83. <laughs> <laughs> 89, okay. Good job. 
Now, okay, all the fishermen, everybody who's fished this year, stand up. All the dads who have fished. If you've been out fishing this year. Okay, if you've been fishing this year, what is the big, we want to find out who's caught the biggest fish. It's your chance to lie. The big fish stories. Some have already sat down. <laughs> so, okay, we got, we got three. So tell me, how much did it weigh, your biggest fish this year so far? I couldn't even weigh it. It's too small. <laughs> <laughs> two pounds. No idea. Was it like six or eight or? 27 inches. I'll tell you what, we, got, we have two left. I have three left. Oh, okay, give them each one. And I know we have some dads visiting today, so we're going we're gonna to recognize the dad who came the furthest today. So if you're a, a father and you traveled a distance to get here today, so I know we got some. So if you traveled, stand up, you traveled to get here today, and uh, tell us where you're from. North Carolina. Okay. Houston, Texas. Give each of those guys one. Okay. So. We're glad that all of our fathers are here today, and uh, we just wanted to have a little fun and recognize some today. And so, again, on the way out the door, dads, we have some candy for all of you. And again, thank you for the job that you do in raising the next generation. Well, it's always great when we have missionaries visit with us, and I'm going to ask, we have two Awana missionaries here today, so I'm going to ask that they stand, and uh, you guys introduce yourselves and your wives to us today. These are Awana missionaries. great to have you guys with us today. Always, since I'm a former Awana missionary, you always have to recognize missionaries. And uh, Lanty is our missionary right here. He lives in E-Town. I keep, he goes to Hope Community, great church in the area. But I'm glad he's here today, and maybe he'll, it'll stick and he'll come here. It's much closer <laughs> than traveling all the way to Mount Joy, Lanty. So, but we're glad to have you with us, our missionaries. Of course, our teens are in Costa Rica. I got an update this morning from Pastor John, so I want to read it to you. It says, team is doing well. Everyone is healthy. Had a good day of ministry yesterday with the kids' ministry in morning, partnering with a local church. Then lunch at the pastor's house to watch CR in the World Cup with the Costa Rica teens, and they won, and San Jose went crazy. One big celebration. We drove around on a bus watching the celebration, then had a youth meeting at night and had barbecue with the um, teens. Today we go back uh, to the same church to minister in the morning worship with Austin and Caitlin sharing testimonies and me preaching. Our team says happy Father's Day to their dads and their dads would be proud of these kids. Tomorrow we travel to the Indian Reservation and stay Monday and Tuesday night and work with the new church there on the reservation. So that's an update this morning from our teens in uh, Costa Rica, and we appreciate Don, um, Pastor John and Dana heading up those, uh, that group that are down there in Costa Rica. Also want to mention to you, keep praying for them throughout the week, but we also want to mention to pray for Dr. Sheard this week. Uh, Dr. Sheard is teaching an intensive course at Liberty University. He teaches there throughout the year uh, online, but this week he is on campus down at Liberty uh, teaching an intensive missions course. So he drove down early this morning. The course starts tomorrow, and he'll be teaching all this week. So keep Dr. Sheard in prayer as he teaches. We also want to mention to you one of our missionaries, uh, Larry and Faye Buckman, are in Brazil for the games. And they are there to share the gospel. They're with a huge team uh, that is going to be there for the full month looking for every opportunity to share the gospel of Christ for those who are there for the World Cup. So let's remember Larry and Faye in prayer as we go to the Lord this morning. Let's pray before we take the offering this morning. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the opportunity that Mount Calvary Church has to send out uh, our young people, Father. And we pray that as they're in Costa Rica this week, that they would have a great week of ministry. 
Lord, I pray that their hearts would be touched through the opportunities that they have to minister to other teenagers and to children and to adults. We pray for Pastor John right now as he'll be preaching this morning the Word of God, that you would use him in a powerful way. Father, we pray for those that they'll be able to speak the gospel into their life this week, that even some would respond and accept Christ as your Savior. Lord, we also want to pray for the the Buckmans there. Father, in Brazil, we pray that you would give them safety. And Lord, we pray that they would have a great month of ministry and many souls would come to Christ. We think of Andrew in uh, South Africa, Father, and Lord, is, uh, Lord a couple week, a week ago, they drove 10 hours out to a remote village and put down the information that they needed to, and they'll re- be returning to that village this week to gather that information. And Lord, I know that Andrew's heart is apprehensive right now, and, and I pray for safety, Lord, uh, as he goes. And, and it's near Nigeria, Father, where there's been problems and riots. And so keep Andrew safe there in, in uh, Africa, Lord, as he's ministering, uh, Lord, this summer. Father, we all pray, also pray for Dr. Sheard, that you might, Lord, use him in a great way as he challenges students this week for missions. We think of our missionaries of the week, Lord, the Buckners. Thank you for the great job, Lord, that they're doing. And we pray for Ben and Nikki and the kids just for safety. And again, as they're translating God's word, Father, give them wisdom each day and safety, Father, on the field. We commit these things to you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Just before we open God's word, I want to share a story with you this morning that's exciting. Um, Last September, on Sunday nights, we started to work our way through the book of Galatians, verse by verse. And uh, we had, just as we started that, we had an older man join us for our Sunday evening services. He shared with me the first week he was here that uh, he is Lutheran, and uh, he wanted me to know that right up front. And, uh, but he works on Sundays, and so he can't go to his Lutheran church, and they don't have anything on Sunday night. So he said, I was looking for a church in the area that has service, and uh, I stumbled across your church. So he started coming, and he came and hung right in there And uh, as we work through the book of Galatians. And uh, it's not one of the most exciting books, but there's a lot of meat in Galatians. And he came week after week and would ask questions, and... Uh, One of his last nights here, as we finished up the book, Karen Hampton spoke to him and asked him about where he was with Jesus Christ. And she again went over the gospel with him and challenged him to make a decision and to accept Christ as a Savior. Well, he was here last Sunday night, and Karen called me and got me after the service. I went up and we talked, and he shared that that night that Karen again reiterated the gospel to him. He went home that very night and asked Jesus Christ into his heart. And isn't that great? Just so we can celebrate a man who came to Christ. And uh, so we're starting, uh, probably in this next week or so, him and I are starting a Bible study together, uh, 10 uh, 10 weeks on follow-up with him. So you'll be praying. And uh, I'm praying that we'll get the study and maybe... Uh, that at our July baptism out at the Roots House, we'll see him baptized. That's my heart's prayer right now. Well, take your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, and uh, we have started a study this summer called Seeing Our Savior in the Old Testament. And uh, Pastor John and I are preaching this series again together, and uh, we're going to preach that through the month of June, and then in the month of July, let me remind you, is our what we call our summer series. We have four of our young men from our ministry who will be preaching one each Sunday because you've known this from the beginning. When I became your pastor, we're about developing people, and that's why Pastor John and I take turns preaching. Sometimes people say, well, you know, why does Pastor John preach? Pastor John preaches because he's a good preacher, and we're developing young men in this ministry. That's what we're about, developing people. And so I'm always excited when the summer comes and we get to have four people from our church who stand up for four Sundays and preach. 
And so I'm looking forward to that. And come back into the month of August. We'll come back into this series again, seeing our Savior in the Old Testament. So that's what we're doing the rest of this summer, so you're aware of that. Let's pray, and then we're going to consider God's Word this morning. Father in heaven, again, we're excited to be here and to be able to open up your Word and to dig again deep into it. And Lord, as we, again, think back of creation and, Lord, how it's all pointing towards redemption, Father, may again, afresh and anew, as we dive into Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 today, Lord, may we look at these foundational scriptures this morning, and may we walk away having your Holy Spirit have spoken to us through the Word of God. And Father, we thank you that in these end, end times, Lord, you speak to us through the Word of God. And so this morning, Father, we're going to ask today again that you would help us to walk away different because we've looked in the light of God's Word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. These last two Sundays, we have been looking at creation and I just wanted to fly back through it again just as a little bit of a review. I looked at the first four points, and then last week, Pastor John looked at the second six points. And so first of all, we talked about the arrangement of redemption. The arrangement of redemption. And we took you to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. And we showed before the foundations of the world. In Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created. Before this beginning, there had been time before this. This wasn't the beginning of time. God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are eternal. They have always existed. And so they had already been working before these verses to arrange, to arrange creation and redemption. And so then we looked at the arena of redemption. We said as God created here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he was building an arena. He was building a stadium to act out redemption. So as we look at creation in Genesis 1 and 2, it is the stage whereupon redemption, the story of redemption, will be played out or acted out. It's like we talked about, if you build a football stadium, they are going to come to do, to do what? To watch a football game. If you build a baseball stadium, they're going to what? Come to watch a baseball game. Well, what God was doing when he created the heavens and the earth was he was creating an arena for which redemption, the story, his story of redemption would be carried out. So there's so much more here in Genesis 1 and 2 than just thinking about creation. It is the arena, it is the stadium which redemption will be carried out. We talked about <clears throat> that it's, what is the aim of redemption. We talked about how God created Adam and Eve and placed them here in the arena, in the stadium. These beautiful things who created, he put man in the midst of it because he was going to be part of the story of redemption. We talked about the accessories of redemption. Pastor John did last week. We talked about when God created those animals and he created that first sheep. He created that sheep in mind with being able to talk about the need for a shepherd because sheep are so easily go their own way. They needed a what? They needed a shepherd who would guide them. And so even in his creation of the animals, when he created the camel, that funny-looking animal called the camel, he created it with the purpose knowing that in Matthew, he wouldn't talk about how what? How it's harder for a rich man to come to Christ than it is what? For a camel to go through the eye gate at Jerusalem. The eye gate is a very small gate of the city, and you'd have to have a, really be tough to get a camel through that gate. And so he's saying the same thing here. As he, as he made that camel back at creation, he was thinking about how he was going to use it in redemption, in the story of redemption. So there's the accessories. We talked about the assistance of redemption, the angels, how he had created them, the advance of redemption. Pastor John took you last week through how creation and salvation sort of go 
almost point by point. When God created here in Genesis 1, he talked about the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth and the Spirit of God was hovering. And so we have the Spirit showing itself right here in darkness and and man is born into this world with what darkness and he needs the work of the Holy Spirit to bring order to his life. And here in Genesis 1 through 3, the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son bring order order to creation, if you would. We talked about the advantage of redemption. Pastor John talked about last week the Sabbath rest and how it points to eternal rest. He talked about Adam and Eve and how their relationship with eventually Christ in the church. We talked about the apex of redemption. That's heaven, that dwelling place that God made for us. We talked about the author of redemption, how creation itself shows the power, the sovereignty, how it shows the goodness of God. And then lastly, Pastor John last week talked about the application of redemption, how it is for us. Everything is in place when Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 finish. Everything is in place for the story of redemption to be played out on the stage of this earth. But the question comes back to what will we do with the Christ that God has provided for us? And so today we're going to move forward as we keep working our way here in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And we're going to talk about the the first Adam and the last Adam today. The first Adam and the last Adam. Take your Bibles and keep your finger there in Genesis. We'll come back there and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is writing here about the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead, and then the resurrection body and what that's going to be like. And um, he, So he's right in the middle of this dissertation. In verse 50, he's going to talk about the mystery and the victory, but I want to back up to verse 46, or, he's, or verse 45. Thus it is written, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The first Adam... That's the Adam that we find in the book of Genesis that we're going to be reading about this morning. The last Adam became a a life-giving spirit. So who's the last Adam? See if you know this. Who? Christ. Christ is the last Adam. So when we talk about the first Adam, we're talking about Adam and Eve. When we talk about the last Adam, we are talking about Christ. And he is a life giving spirit. Christ gives life through redemption, through reconciliation. Christ brings light. He brings life to a dark world, if you would. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. We're born into this world first, and then you are what? Reborn spiritually if you come to Christ. The first Adam was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from where? From heaven. And was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Just as we are born in the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven through salvation. So 1 Corinthians talks about the last and the first Adam. So we're going to talk about that this morning. And if you'll go back to Genesis, we're going to look at some things here. And first of all, the divine image. The divine image. If you'll look in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us. You'll notice the us. He's the Trinity. Let us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, make man in our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and every living thing that moves on earth. And so God says that he created man in his image, in his divine image. Now, there's a lot, a lot of speculation of what in the image of God really means. And uh, we don't have time to unpack all that this morning, but I'm going to tell you just from looking at Scripture, without going to any commentaries, without going anywhere, if we take Scripture for what it says, when we think about what it means, I want to give you several things to think about. First of all, man is in the earthly image of God in his person, in his person. And so as we look at Scripture, what do we learn about God from Genesis chapter 1? There are several things that we learn about God. First of all, he is a communicative, communicative God. He is a God who communicates. He is a God who speaks. And so if you will look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 says, And God what? What does it say? And God what? Say it louder. And God what? Said. You know, in, in, first, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that 10 different times that when God spoke, he spoke these things into existence. And so when we talk about man being created in the image of God, one of the things that we can say is that he made man communicative, just like God. Before the foundations of the world, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had what? Communication. They fellowshiped together. Listen, some people will say, or I've heard it said, well, God created man because he needed fellowship. God didn't need fellowship. He doesn't need us for fellowship. Before he even created us, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit had perfect fellowship. He didn't need us to have fellowship. That's a, that's a, a wrong thought. He, might, he wants fellowship with us, but he didn't need it. Because him and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had perfect fellowship before the foundations of the world. As they were working on the plans of redemption together and communicating. Our God is a communicative God, and he created man to communicate. One of the first things that he did after he created Adam is what? He, him and Adam sat down together, and God prayed uh, the animals in front of him. And he said, Adam, what do you want to call them? And Adam said, oh, okay, that's Mr. and Mrs. Ostrich. That's Mr. and Mrs. Elephant. That's Mr. and Mrs. what? They communicated. We are made in the image of God. He is what? He's a communicator. Something else about him is he does fellowship. He fellowshiped with Adam and Eve in the garden. God the Father, God the Son, they fellowshiped. He's emotional. He is an emotional God. He talks about every day of creation, and this is what? Good. This is good. There's a sense of that emotion. At the end of the day, as he stood back and he watched, looked at what he had done, there's this sense of emotion that came from him. He said, this is good. This is good, this creation that I have done. So he's a God of emotion. And so, God, we are created in his image. The second thing there is man is in the earthly image of God in his work. Man is in the earthly image of God in his work. Again, going right to Scripture, as we look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God created for six days. And as we talked about two weeks ago, we, I believe personally, it was six literal days of creation, not six ages of creation, six literal 24-hour periods of creation. And then what did God do on the seventh day? He what? He rested. He rested on the seventh day. And so he builds into the fabric for man, too, to do the same thing. He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out. I want you to subdue. I want you to work the fields. I want you to enjoy your work. But then on the seventh day, you are to what? You are to rest. He created in six days, and he rested. He, he, in a sense, he filled and he subdued in six days. And then he turns around, and he says, man, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to fill 
and I want you to subdue. That's what God did on the earth. He, he filled it, and he subdued it. He controlled it. He continues to do that. According to Colossians, it says that Jesus is the one who controls the heavens and the earth on a daily basis. And so we have man. We have man who was created in God's image. The first Adam was created in his image. And his work, even of the first Adam, was in the image of God. And let me talk to you just for a minute about the last Adam. Let me give you those same two points. Because Christ is in the heavenly image of God in his person also. Just take the time. We're not going to go there this morning. But if you would read the first 14 14. 14 verses of John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what? You tell me. Was God. In the beginning, before this, it was not talking. In the beginning, God and Jesus were together. They were talking, they were fellowshipping. And so there was Jesus, the last Adam, the last Adam, created in the image of God. And see, he had the same thing. He was the one who was just like God. He told, he often said, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Just look at me, because I am in his image. The first Adam was created in the image of God, but the last Adam was created in the image of God also. And then Romans 8, 29 says, He is the firstborn among many brethren, destined to be conformed to his image. Again, talking about God or Christ was the firstborn, the firstborn among many brethren, destined to be conformed to the image of God. At the incarnation, Christ, he was in the image of God. But not only that, Christ expressed the heavenly image of the Father's work. Just like the first Adam, the last Adam expressed the image of God in his work. Listen to Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. There's that image. He's the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature he was the exact imprint though he decided he chose as he obeyed the father he chose to lay aside those things as he lived here on earth so he says he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe Who's the one that causes the, the moon? Last night, if you looked out, man, the moon was so bright and so full. Who causes those phases of the moon? Jesus does. The Bible says Jesus is the one who holds those things into place. He upholds the universe by the power, Hebrews says, of his what? He's a commutative God, his words. His words. After making purification for our sins. So he came here to earth to make purification, to purify us from our sins. That's why he's here, or why he came. And then he did what? Then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. To sit down at the right hand of the Father, this says, of the majesty on high. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, expresses to us how Christ, the heavenly image of the Father, and his work. His work is the work of redemption. The second point this morning is simply this, the divine command. Listen to the command that is given in verse 28. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be, here's the command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the fowl. Now, there's two things he tells them to do. He says, be fruitful and multiply, number one, and then he says, fill the earth and subdue it. So he says, fill the earth with people like you and then subdue, control the earth, work the earth. And so the first, the first Adam, he gives him this command to fill the earth. Fill the earth. 
other words, go out, procreate. That's what God wants Adam and Eve to do, to procreate. And every one of us, no matter what your culture, what your background is, every one of us go back to the Garden of Eden, go back to Adam and Eve, and we come from there. That's our beginning. And so he says, listen, I want you to fill the earth. And then he says, I want you to rule over creation. But I want to remind you that Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, when he says, be fruitful and multiply, and then I want you to rule, I want you to subdue the earth, I want you to rule over it. All this is before Genesis chapter 3, when what happens? You tell me, the what? The fall. The fall of man. So he gives man this divine command. I want you to multiply. I want you to multiply the earth with people. I want you to rule over creation. That's the command. That's the divine command that God gave him. And then he says, listen, I want you to subdue that creation. But the problem is this, is the problem, instead of subduing, they were subdued by the serpent. Look in Genesis chapter 3. They were subdued by the serpent. And you know the story. You know how they... The serpent came, and he came to Eve first, and he offered, and he said, listen, if you, know, if you eat of this, you're going to be what? Just like God. You're going to be just like God. You're going to be just like him if you'll eat of this fruit. And so they ate of this fruit. So after that, disobedience came upon all men. Sin brings a challenge to this divine command. It brings the challenge to this divine command that God gave. Because he says now, subduing the earth is going to happen with lots of hard work and lots of labor. And he says that making the earth multiplying and bringing people into the earth is going to be what? It's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. Look, if you would, in verses um, 16 of chapter 3. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. He said, Listen, instead of subduing the creation for God, Adam himself was made subject to the creation. You know, some people, I've heard people say, all work is because of sin. If Adam wouldn't have sinned, we wouldn't have to work. You wouldn't have to go to work tomorrow. That's not right. Before God, before the fall here, what were Adam and Eve told to do? They were told to what? Work. Subdue. Six days you work and one day you rest. And work is not bad. Work is good in the Bible. But the he said, listen, work is going to be much harder than it should have been because of the fall. Because you made this choice, work is going to be much harder. And it is, isn't it? Because when you go to work, you have a boss. And sometimes that boss doesn't act very what? Christian. Sometimes that boss is a pain. Sometimes he asks you or she asks you to do things that are not realistic. And then you do them, and, do they, and does your boss ever say, great job, well done? Not too often, huh? See, before the fall, your boss would have said, wow, you are the best worker we have. You are great. And he would have meant it from his heart. But now we all work, what? We all work. Because we have been, what, subdued by the creation itself. We have been controlled by this sin. Instead of birthing children into, the, into life, you know what happens? We birth children into death. Every child that's born is born a sinner separated from God and on their way to a Christless eternity called hell. So it's not about birthing children to life anymore. It's about birthing children to what? To death. And you walk back into those nurseries, and, and you look at those 
cute little children. We've had the privilege this week of having one of our grandsons here that we usually don't get to see. And I got to give him a bath last night. And, and man, it was exciting. And you know, you smell that clean little body and, and, and you, you tickle their stomach and you do all those fun things to them. You think, man, they are perfect. But that's not true because just an hour before that, I had watched him have a fit and knock a whole bowl of watermelon on his mother's lap. That was his little what? It's just like his father. No, just really. He is sinful. He is cute as can be, but he is a cute sinner. And there's, we birth children into death. Why? Because of the fall. Because of the fall. So this divine command that God given us has given to man was messed up because of sin that entered into the world. This is all pointing. It's all pointing. It's all the beginning of the play being played out on the stage of earth pointing to what? We need redemption. We need reconciliation. So as I'm reading Genesis three here and I see the fall of man and I see that we're in horrible shape it tells me God we need help we've made a mess we've been here so little time on earth as a man and a woman and already we've messed it all up but the good thing is this but God knew it God didn't wake up that day at Adam and Eve and you know happened to be walking through the garden and saying you know where are you and all of a sudden there they are and they're naked and he said oh what did you do God knew it God knew the plan. He had already knew what was going to happen. Before the end of the world, God had already what? He had already laid out the redemption story. And these are the opening acts of that story. It's the opening acts of redemption. It's the opening acts of reconciliation. And so these things are beginning to point. And what we call the prototype or the proto-evangeli is found in verse 15. And again, I'll say to you right up front, a lot of controversy, whether this verse really points to the, to the gospel or whether it doesn't. And again, we don't have time to go into that, who the seed is and the offspring. This morning, I'll take from my position that it is. He says... Uh, back up to verse 14, he's speaking to the serpent. Because you have done this, Satan, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I, God, will put enmity between you, Satan. He's saying the you is Satan there. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed or her and offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It's the beginning, the beginning of redemption, the beginning, looking down the hallway, if you would, of reconciliation, the direction of going. He says, listen, Satan, listen, you might think when Jesus goes to the cross and he's dead, you might think in your limited knowledge, oh, I got him this time, he's dead. And, and what he's saying is you're, you will bruise his heel, but three days later he will arise victorious over sin and death. And it's like you will crush his head. Jesus will come. And again, it's pointing towards redemption. The offspring of Christ. On the, Christ, on the cross, Satan bruised Christ's heel, but it wasn't final. He arose three days later. See, the first Adam and all these things that are happening are pointing again to the second Adam, the need for the second Adam. The first Adam disobeyed God, but the second Adam was obedient unto what? Death. Obedient unto death. The first Adam was obedient, but then he disobeyed God. The second Adam obeyed God. See, the second Adam was obedient to death. He was also in the divine image. So the second Adam, he would fulfill God's divine command. The first Adam couldn't fill that divine command. The second Adam will be able to fill that divine command. He will fill the earth with what? Spiritual sons and daughters. 
We don't have time to go there this morning, but if we went to Acts chapter 8 and we looked at that great story of the Ethiopian coming to Christ, we would find out that he was reading. When he was found there, he was reading um, Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. And in, in, in there it says, Who can carry on his generation? It says his seed was cut off. There's again that word seed, talking about Christ, that it looked like Christ's seed was cut off. It looked like at the death he was done. He says, listen, who is going to do that? And Christ rose from the grave. And so he, was, he had these questions, and it was there that he came to salvation. See, Christ fulfills the divine command found in Genesis. The second Adam fulfills that divine command because he what? He fills the earth with spiritual sons. He rules over creation, Colossians 1.17. And then he rules over the serpent. There will be a time where Satan will be bound for a short time, and then he'll be loosened. And then for one short period of time, again, Satan will take people away. But then God will say, that's it, and he'll take and he'll cast Satan and the imps of hell into outer darkness for eternity. He will be crushed. And so where the first Adam couldn't fulfill the divine command. The second Adam has fulfilled it in every way. The divine commission given to man must be fulfilled by man. The first Adam could not do it because of sin, but the last Adam could. One more thing this morning, the divine covering. You know, man always tries to work out things on his own. Look, if you would, there in verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was, with, uh, was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and Eve, his wife, garments of skins and clothes. Why did God have to do that? Back down, and you will see what did man do. Man realized that he was what? Go back to verse 7. The eyes... Of both, of both them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So see, when they sinned, they realized, wow, listen, we are naked. Before this, we were holy and pure, and the, and the nakedness was holy and pure, but all of a sudden now we have sinned, and they recognized it as impurity and since living and being naked. And so he said, we better do something about this. And so here we have man's plan. Providing his own covering. It's called religion. It's the works of religion. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, By faith, not by us. Romans 11.6, By grace, not by our works. Adam knew he needed covering, and so he went out and he did what he would thought was right. Man always tries to deal with his sin his way. It's called religion. If I do more things, if, if I do more things for God, you know, he's going to love me more. And even after we're saved, we still do the same thing in sanctification. You know, we, in sanctification, we think there's a scale. And so, you know what? If, if I read my Bible every day and, 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 I, and I do this and I do that, you know, I'm going to put more on this scale and God's going to love me more. No, listen, God's love is always the same. No matter what you do, it never changes. He loves you, and your sanctification is him working through you to create a brand new person in the image of God. And it's not through our works, it's through the work that Jesus Christ already did. That's what this is pointing to. Because... When God comes on and he, and he says to Adam and Eve, where are you? And they said, we hid ourselves because we knew we were naked. Finally, God says, you know what? We got to deal with this. We got to deal with this. You need redemption and you need reconciliation. And so what did God do? God killed an animal and took those skins from that animal and placed them on Adam and Eve. He provided a covering for them. But that covering, I believe, was probably a lamb. 
We can debate that if you want. It was an innocent substitution for them. There had to be something to make an innocent substitution for them. And so God took whatever it was, a lamb or some type of animal, and he what? He covered them. He killed that animal. And then he took that covering and he wrapped it around them. There was a price that had to be paid for sin. It was called what? Death. They needed a blood covering. Listen to these verses uh, in, in Hebrews 9. For if it the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of the defiled person with these ashes of a heifer sanctify it for the purification of the flesh. So what he's saying there, he said, listen, there had to be death. There had to be the shedding of blood for their sin to be covered. And that's what God did. He covered it. He covered it. All of that is pointing to what? And all through the Old Testament, we have, we, and when we have the Levitical laws that are given to us and, and the sacrifices that the people of Israel would have to make, all of that is pointing to what? One final sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself, innocent, pure, without sin, would have to be shed for you and me so that our sin could be not just covered, but our sin could be washed away, wiped away. We couldn't do it ourselves, not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. It's God who sent his son, whose blood would be shed to take care of your sins, to put a righteous covering. So when God looks down from heaven, he doesn't see Dick Vaughn. He sees Jesus' righteousness wrapped around me. He doesn't see you. He doesn't see Lee Beach. He sees what? He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ wrapped around him. Lee Beach is a godly man. He really is. But you know what? His godliness, his righteousness won't get him into heaven. He's only righteous because what? Jesus' righteousness is wrapped around him. And that's all of us. And then it's interesting See, God wanted man to live forever, but not in the condition. Look at look what else it says here at the very end, in verse 24 of Genesis 3. And he drove out the man and the east of the Garden of Eden and placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. He didn't want man to eat of that tree of life and live in that sinful state forever. Now, here's the good news. Did you ever wonder what the fruit was on the tree of life? Was it an apple? Was it an orange? What is it? Is it many fruit? Do you know, if you sit here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen to what Revelation says. Blessed are those who have washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb because they have the right to eat of the tree of life. Every believer will get to eat of the tree of life. Do you know that? See, God said, listen, I don't want Adam and Eve because I don't want them to live forever in their sinful state. So what? He took that tree. And, I, and that tree, I think, has been in heaven because someday it says what? That that tree is going to be there. And every one of us, every one of us who've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ are going to get to eat of the tree of life. Isn't that exciting? That's what Revelation tells us in Revelation 7 and 14 and Revelation 22, 14. Here's what it is this morning as we close. See, every one of us are connected with the first Adam as depraved and guilty sinners and have death written over our heads. It's the sentence of death. But the question this morning is, are you connected with the second Adam? Have you come to that point in your life where you said, you know what? I am a sinner. Because of my sin, I'm separated from God. And if I stay in this state, I will end up in a Christless eternity called hell forever. The only way to escape that is to come to the second Adam who laid down his life for you, shed his blood for you, and made a covering that's called righteousness so that you, so that you 
could live forever in heaven, the heaven that Christ has created for you. So, God's plan, it's holy and it points to him. Are you today, are you going to live for the first Adam and sin and selfishness? Or today, are you going to accept the work of the last Adam who died on the cross for your sin? Can we bow our heads in prayer? The first and the last Adam. See, Adam brings death and life. Which will you choose? Genesis chapters 1 and Genesis chapter 2 are God setting the stage for the story of redemption. Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of man and shows us the need for reconciliation and redemption. It shows us the result, but it's all pointing towards, I believe, the story of Jesus Christ when he will come creating the divine image, fulfilling the divine command, and providing the righteous covering that we need. Maybe you're here today in our service and you would say, you know what, Dick? If I died today, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. I'm not 100% sure that if I took my last breath today, I would be in heaven. And if you're not sure of that today, by simply putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, death, his burial, and his resurrection, turning from your sin and putting your faith in him, you can come to Christ. He made it so simple for us. He made it simple that it's by faith. It's by saying, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe you died for me. Lord, I believe that you were buried for me, that you rose again the third day, and I am putting my faith and trust in you and you alone to take me to heaven. If you would do that today, you could know before you leave this building you're on your way to heaven. I'll be down front after the service. And if you're not sure you're on your way to heaven today, but you'd like to know, I'd love to talk to you. Just slip to the front and come see me. And I'd love to open the word of God and show you how you today can trust Christ as your Savior. Father, thank you that all your wisdom that the first Adam and his failure pointed to the need for a second Adam who would come and fulfill the divine command, who would fulfill, Father, that divine image, who would fulfill, Lord, that need for a righteous covering that only you, God, could provide for us. And so, Father, we thank you that, again, as we've looked at Genesis, realizing that these opening chapters of your word begin to live out for us the story or the play of redemption, the very opening acts we've seen, Father, in these last three weeks on earth. The stage was set at creation for the redemption story of Jesus Christ. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. I have a challenge for you. We're going to close our service with a video clip. If we could back up to that clip. So if you have your phone, would you take your phone out? Take your phone out if you have it. And, some of, and your Bible. Hold them up. Now, your phone might be your Bible. I heard somebody say just recently that when I open my my church tell them to open the Bible. It used to be I could always say it's great to hear the rustling of Scripture. Now I have to say it's great to see the warm glow of God's Word on your face. <laughs> so hold, hold them up. you got both. You can put them down. I want you to watch this video as we close our service. What if our Bible were just as important as our cell phone? We treated it like we couldn't live without it. 
When we forgot it, we went back to get it. We had lots of gadgets to keep us connected to it. We always had it close by in case of an emergency. We carried it around in our purses and pockets. We checked it throughout the day for new messages. We were constantly going over our minutes every month. We made sure our battery never ran low. My challenge this week is make this more important than this. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.